Hello and welcome to In the Wings, your look into the inside world of opera. I'm your host, Emily Deal Reader. Welcome to the second episode of the show. In this podcast, we explore the huge and wonderful art form that is opera, and we talk to the people who make it their lives, both on and off stage. This podcast is brought to you by the Calgary Concert Opera Company, and so we're starting with a series of episodes on their upcoming production of La Traviata, Giuseppe Verdi's ever-popular piece about the life, love, and death of Violetta Valeri. Those performances will be on September 15th and 16th, 2018, and there will be information on buying tickets in the show notes. If you haven't heard the first episode, featuring interviews with Kathleen Morrison and Linda Faye Miller, both of whom will be playing the lead role of Violetta, as well as a synopsis of the plot of La Traviata, go back and listen now. We'll be here when you get back. Coming up, I have two interviews for you. I spoke with Adam Brousseau, who will play Germain, the father of the lead tenor role, Alfredo, and Ian Fenditis, who will be playing two roles, Violetta's former lover, Baron Dufol, and later in the show, Violetta's doctor. Before we get to the interviews, though, I'd like to talk to you about one of the main plot points of the opera, tuberculosis. Tuberculosis is an infection caused by Mycobacterium tuberculosis, a bacterium which infects and destroys the lungs. During the 19th century, it seemed everyone was dying of tuberculosis, though it had many names, was also called phthisis or consumption. The bacterium itself was not discovered until 1882. The disease was widespread long before that, and as a result of its mystery and often terrifying symptoms, it became a staple of romantic literature. Tuberculosis sufferers were typically very pale and thin, with sunken eyes, and one of the most obvious symptoms was coughing up blood, due to the damage the bacterium was inflicting on the lungs. This led to the romanticization of TB patients, especially women, as haunted beauties full of romantic passion and feverish sexuality. A quote. It was the fashion to suffer from the lungs. Everybody was consumptive, poets especially. It was good form to spit blood after any emotion that was at all sensational, and to die before reaching the age of 30. That was said by Alexandre Dumas, fils, who, if you happen to remember from our first episode, was the playwright of La Dame aux Camélias, upon which La Traviata was based. It was believed that TB sufferers were, quote, consumed from within by their passions, end quote. This was called spes physica, this rationalization which sought to make sense of the senseless suffering, this condition wherein it seemed that creative genius and romantic passions flourished because the body was wasting away. This was also reflected in the belief that consumption was some sort of romantic redemption for people afflicted by societal ills or perhaps poor decisions. For instance, a courtesan by the name of Violetta Valerie. La Traviata was written early in the ravages of tuberculosis on Western civilization. The cause of the illness had not yet been discovered, so the romantic ideals of consumption were in full flower. Violetta's beauty is seen as enhanced and unforgettable due to her illness. 
Her redemption in renouncing Alfredo's love is part and parcel with her dying from consumption to somehow redeem herself of her life choices. Later operas, notably The Tales of Hoffman and, of course, La Boheme, benefited from a deeper understanding of tuberculosis. Perhaps most notable is the difference between Violetta's death, which is a perfect example of specificica, wherein she blooms in a passionate outburst of creativity before collapsing, and Mimi's death in La Boheme, where she simply wastes away and dies silently in her bed. I'm sure we'll uh, come back to that in a later episode. Making an opera podcast without an episode on La Boheme just feels like I wouldn't be doing my job. The sweep of tuberculosis through Europe and North America introduced numerous improvements in hygiene, both in personal life and in health facilities. Perhaps most notable would be the introduction of paper handkerchiefs from Japan, which would eventually become, you guessed it, Kleenex. On the other hand, life for a tuberculosis patient well into the 20th century could be horrible. Before antibiotics were developed to combat the bacterium, medical practitioners tried everything to cure their patients, from holistic life in the countryside, well isolated from society, and often not by choice, all the way to invasive procedures involving the removal of lung tissue. The disease is still dangerous today, Several strains of drug-resistant TB exist, and it still causes around 2 million deaths a year. Let's lighten the mood a bit (laughs) and get into the interviews. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I had the chance to chat with two of the gentlemen who will be singing in the Calgary Concert Opera Company's upcoming production of La Traviata. We'll start with Adam Brousseau, who will be playing Germont. Adam is a Calgary native, who began his studies in music in classical trumpet before moving to opera, though he did share that he used to sing along to the Queen of the Night's aria as a kid. We'll hear more about Adam's journey in music in another episode, but for right now, let's talk about Traviata. So you've been working on Germont for about 10 months now? Yeah, because I had um, a previous engagement that, that fell through eventually, but I was engaged to do it. You know, and this production with, with Barbara King and the Calgary Concert Opera came in part from that. But in any case, it means that I've had a bit of time to sort of mull it over, mm-hmm. which is really helpful. Because, you know, aside from learning the arias and the notes, you you start to figure out what the character really means. and and why they're there and, and what they're doing. Yeah, you live with them, right? The longer you have. So what was your experience with Traviata before taking on this role? I'd known the tunes. I'd seen um, I'd seen a couple unstaged productions and I've seen two of the Met productions, um, which were just like so epic with all the choruses and everything. It was just really well done. But past that, just sort of knowing the music, mm-hmm. I didn't really know anything specific about it. First impressions once you got the score? Or started digging into it, how, whatever your process is. Yeah, what's well, interesting, at first I thought that Germain was really um, sort of simple in a way. That he was just sort of this hokey, you know, not bourgeois, yes, bourgeois, really, this hokey bourgeois man from the south of France that's just trying to, you know, he's trying to like, you know, help his son and worried about his image. And I thought he was quite, I almost thought he was selfish. I thought he was trying to protect his family's name, you know. 
but the more and more I fall into it, the romance sort of comes out of it, and his really intense love for his children is important, and his whole role in this sort of redemption of Violetta is paramount. He sets it all up. It's an interesting way of doing it that, that a, a non-main character, like, he's, he's actually, you know, the antagonist in many ways, and yet he's this sort of, like, beautiful, loving man. Mm-hmm. And so the sort of schmaltz that looks sort of, you know, fake only on the surface that's presented in his songs and his arias are, it, it runs a lot deeper. Do you think there's a turning point in the opera where either the audience gets to see that different side of Germain or perhaps a turning point for you when you're on stage, when you go mm-hmm. from portraying a little more, you know, I'm thinking about act two where he's the country dad, right? Right. And we get the big confrontation scene, and then the contrast to how he seems later. Like, that seems fairly stark to me, but I imagine it... Is it that stark for you, or is it more... Is it a little more yin and yang? You never really understand it. In, in the opera, it's always sort of done that she's, she's unwell, always aside. So the audience, of course, sees it, but... The other characters don't understand it. I don't think even Alfredo really understands how sick she is, even from the beginning, from the end, really. So when he finally sees her so ill, but still so warm and so loving, it's this this moment where he's just like, oh my god, what the... I did this to this woman. You know, I caused this suffering to this sort of really beautiful creature that is just trying to do her best, and it's... It's exhausting. It's brutal, that moment. How has that been for you digging into this character? What's had, what, have the, what have the challenges been in, in coming to, to stand in his shoes? Or has it been pretty intuitive? No, I think the sort of empathy that's required for this role is, is strong. <laughs> it's like it's needed because he needs to... It's an emotional challenge. Um, it, it's not easy to, to step into his shoes because, you know, the other thing is I'm 26 years old and this is a character that probably is at least around, you know, late 30s, um, early 40s, given the time. Because I think, you know, Germain, or no, Alfredo, his son, is, is 20 in the casting. Yeah. You know, so he's not a young man, but he's certainly, he's a father and he has all of this love and this emotion that is there. So finding all of that and, and uh, sort of tapping into that in my own way to present something authentic is, is for sure, that is the challenge of this role. Yeah. How have you been going about that? Do you have any particular role models, performances you may have watched, people in your life that you're drawing from or? Yeah, I think, you know, part of the physicality of the role changes. And of course, there's all these people that have beards and, and all this sort of stuff that make you seem older or whatever else. but. A lot of it is digging into, you know, what a father is and and all of that. And, you know, personally, I didn't grow up with, I didn't have a father growing up. So it's, I, I imagine my portrayal is probably um, less than precise in the sense of what a father might truly be. But I think about, you know, those certainly, I think about those warm male role models in my own life that just like give that just give love and 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 don't really expect a whole lot in return you know but right. but demand some sort of um respect in, in a way right on the flip side of that so you yourself haven't had the experience of a father 
but I'm sure there's folks in your life for whom you feel that you want to give that love as Germain gives to Alfredo. Have you approached the role from that direction at all? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, I worked Calgary Stampede this last year and yeah. I was, um, you know, I was working in Nashville North and it was a bit ridiculous, but one day I was helping out a friend in a booth uh, inside the BMO Center and uh, the young man that I was working with is, you know, 15 and just, you know, gregarious and, you know, just the, <laughs> such a good teenager, you know, just sort of energetic and with, a, you know, a lot of will and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, as we spent the entire day together just talking, it was just funny and my sort of paternal instincts turned on and, you know, not that they haven't been there before, but not that I'm old either, but, you know, there's, I have this respect for youth and for young people that mm -hmm. is so... I just, I love it. And I, I mean, I, I know I want children. And so that, that sort of drive to, you know, help, to inform, mm -hmm. to, to respect and to empathize with, you know, the situations that they're going through, that you've already gone through. That is interesting. And, you know, like, Germain is, is in the end trying to save his daughter from hardship. He's also trying to save his son from hardship. You know, it's a bit secondary, but he's trying to help his children. Mm-hmm. How are you taking that emphasis of yours into Jamon? Hmm, interesting. Because this is an unstaged production, it's quite fascinating because we're, we're quite limited in what we're actually able to do, you know, mm -hmm. physically. So there's a lot that is about presence, I suppose. I think it'll be a fascinating experience. I'm not sure how much I've worked, to be honest, on that since. Just do you give... do any sort of it in the practice room? Like, do you oh, move yeah, as God. him? So what, what's your... There's One of my favorite things is, I mean, because I am this regal character, it actually helps so much with this sort of, this lifted sternum, this this really sort of broad-chested, um, upright stature, that's this sort of noble posture, that's important to old-school bel canto technique. Mm -hmm. For good is, reason. For, for very good reason, <laughs> yeah. you know, but is also really useful uh, in this character. Mm. And so, you know, and when you step into shoes, literally, um, that, you know, are a little bit lifted and you, you step into clothing that drapes, you know, it's, it's a bit different than wearing jeans and a t-shirt. You do stand differently. And so, you know, whatever we do sort of, you know, and those things do change stuff, you know, wearing a little bit of a costume, all of a sudden you're, you're in it. It can really help. But yeah, you know, I'll use those those sort of things to the best of my advantage to find that sort of nobility mm -hmm. in Germain. Mm -hmm. The sort of best moments that I've ever had on stage and off are those moments of collaboration. Whether it's like, you know, some goofy song that you, you know, some choral piece of music that everyone's just sort of like singing a cappella backstage together because it's just like, why not? What else are we going to do with singers, right? There are these moments of collaboration and, and sort of helping that happen on stage and off where you know, it, it actually makes it, it makes it authentic, it makes it real, it makes it beautiful. So I love, I love all of those moments where people come together. You know, this production coming up is, is going to be fascinating. The production has two beautiful women singing Violetta of very different generations. You know, I'm younger than both of them by not a, not a huge margin, but by a bit of one. Um, and I'm playing both of their fathers, you know, and my son is my senior by about 20 years. But again, we're coming together for this piece of music, for this, this to tell this story. It's our jobs to make it authentic and to make it, you know, real. But like, God, that coming together is so cool. 
it's it makes for powerful moments on and off stage. Absolutely. The fact that we're collaborating with the Rocky Mountain Symphony Orchestra, which is just this, you know, they've just celebrated, I'm going to get shot, I think it's two years now, it might be three. No, I'm pretty sure it's two year anniversary just recently. These are people that, again, you know, it's about the story and it's about reaching people that want to listen, that want to hear. And so, you know, their mandate is sort of going outside of the Calgary city limits and bringing music, really good quality music, to those people. So, you know, working with smaller companies you know that are growing right now can be really powerful too because uh, we're not sort of stuck in old habits or old regimes that mandate a certain way of doing something and as artists it gives us freedom to be sunk into the roles rather than sunk into the professional and professional aspect of this of this craft this is a, this is a cool opportunity and I, you know I'm so thankful because of course like this is this is a great role to sink my teeth into Thanks, Adam. Great to talk to you. The next interview I have for you is with Ian Fenditis, who will sing both Baron Dufol, Violetta's former lover, and Dottore Grenville, Violetta's doctor. Ian grew up in Okotoks, and like Adam, was a trumpet player. He discovered singing, as it were, when he sang You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, in high school because nobody else could sing that low. He has since completed studies at the University of Lethbridge, where he started by studying trumpet, and then moved to voice. Let's dive a little bit into Traviata. You're playing the Dottore. Yes, I'm yes. Dottore Granville. I'm also singing Barone du Fall. So I'm first Violetta's current lover at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. And then, unfortunately, at the end, I'm the one who sort of pronounces that she's going to be dying soon. Right. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the opera, people <laughs> don't listening. Worry, don't worry, this, this, there will be a plot synopsis beforehand. Great. Okay, awesome. So in... With opera, I feel like there's no no need to give a spoiler alert. You can look it up on the internet pretty readily. Right? It's like, well, spoiler, at least someone's probably going to die. Yep. It's either people are going to get married, or people are going to die, possibly both. Yep. Um, possibly multiples of both. Oh, yeah. Like, opera is so full of tropes. Tell me about what it's been like getting into your characters. Do you, do you like them? What's the, what's the journey been? Given that these characters are a little bit smaller, I feel like I've had to do, in terms of just amount of singing, not that they're small roles. There's no small roles, as they say. Everybody's important to the story in some way or another. But I feel like it requires that you kind of have to do a little bit more legwork yourself. There's not as much in the... Um, in the text and in the music for you to draw from. The Susanna is a hard role from Marriage of Figaro, but it's because there's a lot of singing, you have to be very technically good, but it's all there for you. You see the character change and go on this journey through the text and the music, whereas these smaller roles, it's kind of a challenge because you have to find them within yourself. You don't find as many clues in the music, so those characters become more innate expressions of who you are as an artist, as opposed to what the composer thought, I think. And that's, it's a really fun and uh, interesting challenge, and I think one of my favorite parts of doing opera, for sure, is, um, like, honestly, just sitting around and thinking about the character, or trying to figure out, in this short frame of time, why is this character singing this? Why is this music happening this way around this character? Baron Dufault is... He's a fairly one-dimensional character. I mean, everybody loves Violetta. It's hard to deny. I mean, that's why she's the lead soprano. We've got the tenor who immediately falls in love with her when he sees her. Baron Dufault 
you have to craft this story of why is he here? How has he come to this point and why is he essentially courting this courtesan if he's a baron? It could be very easily frowned upon. The doctor, there's sort of an inherent sympathy in him, especially as a physician. He doesn't want to be the one to have to tell Flora and everybody that Violetta is literally about to die. She doesn't have long left. Obviously, he takes no joy in that, but it's his duty and it's his, I guess, his cross to bear in that sense. And that makes him a very sympathetic character if you're able to look at him as being a little bit deeper. And for him to function well in that situation, a character still has to be fully fleshed out, no matter what dimension they might find in the score. Trying to find the depth of the characters, I think, has been one of the more interesting challenges for something that is sort of arguably like a Copa Mario role in the world of opera, but I think a challenge equal to singing something like Figaro or uh, Susanna or any of the large characters in the operatic repertoire. I enjoy that the sort of thoughtfulness of discovering the characters and finding out who they are and why they're here, even if they're just there for one or two scenes. There's got to be a reason, and finding that reason honestly is... I think one of the big reasons why I love doing what we do, because we get to tell a story, and you might be a small piece, but you're still integral to how everything unfolds. So to not take up that torch with the same amount of um, authority or thoughtfulness as a major character would be sort of letting down the composer and uh, the people who you're working with, I think. So you touched on the dimensions you see in the Doctor a little bit. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what you see in the Baron. He's he's fairly impetuous, I think. Uh, he's quick to anger, but at the same time, I don't think he's a bad person or anything. He's just out because, I don't know, he's very attracted to Violetta and the sort of world that she offers. Do I think he's necessarily very serious about her? Not entirely, but it comes down to, I mean, there's the whole poker game or the card game that he plays with, Alfredo. And, you know, somebody who really cares about somebody else isn't going to go into this sort of situation with somebody who obviously is very important in this person's life with a sort of flippant attitude of, oh, we're going to talk about this person over a game of cards because I can tell you're very into her, but I happen to be with her right now. To sort of treat somebody as if they don't matter that much to you or if they put their invested their emotions in you that much I think speaks to the character being one of not amazing character in that way that's really interesting because I've seen a couple of productions the the last one I was in jumps to mind this, mm -hmm. this spring where that particular scene the Baron played it almost as calling Alfredo's bluff. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and so he, the Baron came across as as accusing Alfredo mm -hmm. of being, you're going to call Violetta's honor into question like this? Mm -hmm. Well, fine, I'll play you for it. Yeah. And then it he comes across as he's almost defending her honor mm -hmm. by doing it. This is a awful thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's really interesting because I think that's one of the... To go back a little bit to what you were saying about, about these smaller characters and the work we have to do with them, mm -hmm. it's really interesting how many different ways you can play it. There's so right? many. It's amazing in that way. I, yeah. That's one of the things I actually really like about uh, Don Giovanni that we're doing here as well, is that 
especially evil characters or, or supposedly bad characters, you have to find an inherent humanity in them as well, for sure. And what is the one thing that we can't deny about humanity is that we all have different feelings about the world around us and the people that we interact with. I see the Baron, like, I understand completely how that works out in the second scene for sure, but to me that the fact that in the first scene the Baron is with Violetta at that point, but he sees that obviously Alfredo is the one that she's attracted to, and if he had really cared deeply enough about her, I think he would have made as much of an effort to try and keep her, or at least show Violetta that he cared about her as much as Alfredo did. But he didn't make that effort before, and to me it comes off as kind of flippant to say, oh yeah, I'm going to defend her honor, I, I don't think you have what it takes then why didn't you step up in the first act and say, no, I care about this person, we have something together, why can you not respect that? Right, and if you're going to play the scene in Act 2 whichever way, then your choices need to be consistent across. For sure, I could see in Act 1, you know, stepping aside, it's like, okay, I love you Mm -hmm. enough to say... If I am not who you want, mm-hmm. then I'll step out. Yeah. Right? And if that's the way you're gonna play it, then act two makes it makes a lot of sense to to play the Baron as, as defending Violetta. Yeah. But if you're taking act one as just sort of this laissez faire attitude, then yeah, it wouldn't make any sense to play act two yeah. like that. Because who does Violetta ask to give a toast in the first scene? That's right. The Baron. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he declines. Turns her down. He absolutely turns her down. I've always found that a really interesting moment. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think that absolutely changes who he is in the following acts. Absolutely. And again, I mean, well, and so much of this, it's hard to portray to an audience. Mm-hmm. Right? I feel like a lot of our character choices as as opera characters are I mean, obviously they're for the benefit of the audience because they inform how we sing, they inform how we act on a large scale. Yeah. But especially in big houses, not everything you do is visible. No, right? especially from such a distance that you usually exactly. have to watch an opera exactly. from. Your choices that you make on stage have to be larger than life. Absolutely. They have to be so big that somebody who's up in the rafters, essentially, can see them and say, okay, that guy, mm-hmm. he's really not into her somehow. Right. One of my favorite places to watch an opera is from the stage. Yeah. And I mean, I say that as an opera performer myself, of course, mm-hmm. but the the difference in the worlds to me is is day and night, yeah. right? Because I remember, I remember that scene in the production of Traviata I was last in, mm-hmm. and the Baron was mostly facing upstage yeah. when he turns her down. Yeah. He's he's looking at her, but she's she was sort of downstage right, but a little bit up of him, and so he was way downstage left and looking upstage at her. Yeah. And so the audience could see that he, he declined it, whereas we on stage could see the journey that he was taking on his face, mm-hmm. and those decisions we make for the benefit of our fellow, of our colleagues, yeah. of course. And so I think that's another example of a really interesting moment, because depending on your production, depending on your staging, how much Alfredo and Violetta are already falling in love can be clear or not clear, yeah. right? And if it's very clear, and and you as the Baron have previously decided that, I mean, maybe you're very much in love with Violetta, but you respect her greatly and want her to be happy, mm. or it's a fling, right? Who knows, yeah. right? You've made your decisions, and 
depending on, on those choices that have already been made, right? Maybe you're like, I mean, I feel like I'm the one who's supposed to give this toast, but you want to hang out with this guy, yeah. so I'll bow out. Yeah. Or or he just doesn't care. And it's and which one is going to be more narratively satisfying really depends on the production. Yeah. Which is something I love about opera. Exactly. I think that's... And that's one of the things that I love about the fact that we get to sing opera and be a part of the productions. I know a lot of people sort of assume, you know, you go to the opera and you see the performance, and that's amazing. But I think one of the great joys for us as singers is that the end product isn't really the goal, or isn't where I find the joy of opera. Discovering the opera with other people who have also put their thought into it and their characters, and how that shapes how you interact with them as a character as well is honestly I think by far the more satisfying part of doing opera. You learn how other people think and that's honestly the great gift of any of the fine arts I think is that we come to understand each other as human beings so much more like deftly I think because we see we have this story that yes we all know it we all know the characters we all know the stereotypes and the sort of archetypes that come up uh, within the characters but each human being will bring their own understanding of that character. And we, as performers and artists, are all enriched by their take on it because we understand something different that we may not have thought about before with those characters. And if we're very, very lucky, and if we're very good at what we do, and we do it completely committed, then we can transmit that to the audience. And hopefully they will walk away with a better understanding, perhaps, of their fellow men or situations in their life that they may not have thought about in certain ways. And that's, I think, the real joy as artists that we get to experience is that knowing people, hopefully if we've done our job correctly, have walked away from what we've done and thought, man, I've, I've never thought about something like that before, or that made me think about this situation in a different way. You never walk away from art completely the same person that you were before. And I think that's so important to what we do and why, even though opera or singing or really any of the fine arts can kind of be looked down upon at times, there's a palpable effect on the people who receive it, no matter what form it comes in, dance, painting, or like visual arts, or anything. You're changing the person who views it and takes it in, in some even if it's a minuscule way, but in some way, you are leaving a bit of yourself with them. And I think that is so important to society, if I may pontificate a bit there. Thanks, Ian. That brings us to the end of this episode, continuing our exploration of La Traviata in anticipation of the Calgary Concert Opera Company's production this upcoming September 2018. For dates and more info, please see the show notes. On our next episode, I'll have more interviews for you, as well as a look at how productions of La Traviata have changed over the years. Thanks for joining me backstage today on In the Wings. We'll be back in two weeks. Toy toy toy! You've been listening to In the Wings, a production of the Calgary Concert Opera Company. I'm Emily Deal Reader, your host. If you liked the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you found us, 
whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or any other streaming service. Your reviews keep us on the charts, which helps new listeners find us. You can also find us on Twitter, at InTheWingsPod, and you can also like our Facebook page, In The Wings Podcast. Comments? Questions? Drop us a line at InTheWingsPod at gmail.com. In the Wings is a production of the Calgary Concert Opera Company, produced, directed, written, and hosted by Emily Deal Reader in Calgary, Alberta. Special thanks to our guests this week, Adam Brousseau and Ian Fenditis.